0: I'm sure there have been times in your life where you've had to make a big change. Uh, maybe it was moving to a new town, uh, going to a brand new school, uh, starting a new job. And along with those big changes, there can be a lot of, uh, I would say, anxiety or fear even. But most of the time, there's also at least a little bit, and sometimes a lot bit, excitement. And the reason in part, is because there are times where we tend to get in a rut and it's kind of awesome sometimes to have a brand new, fresh start. And that's what this series is all about, that God also wants for you, if you're weighed down, to have a fresh start. And the thing is, is that sometimes in order to have a fresh start, or another fresh start, or another fresh start, we have to first move past the past. And in in week one, we talked about how sometimes the past can work as an anchor. And because I'm not a uh, boatsman, I don't even know if that's a word or not, um, I have no anchor at home. But I am clearly a bodybuilder. So I have, (laughs) right, Mark? Yeah, (laughs) So I have weights around the house, okay? And so I brought in this, you know, that the past can act as an anchor or as a weight. And, you know, honestly, to hold a 30-pound dumbbell for a little while or even to do some curls—not going to try, not going (laughs) to try—is not so hard for 10 seconds or even a minute. Um, But if I were asked to hold this for an hour, it would get harder. Um, If someone said, hey, here's a 30-pound dumbbell. Hold it for the whole day probably could do it, but I'd probably have to lean it on my shoulder and, you know, that's a long time. But what if you had to hold it for a week? What if you had to hold 30-pound dumbbell for a year, 10 years, 40 years? At a certain point, the constant carrying of the weight of this dumbbell, or in our case, the weight of hurt, it begins to weigh on you. And you become emotionally exhausted and bitter. And it's hard to be happy. And I know we don't like to use the C word, but we also, see, this is this is as, you know, like toe the line that I get. We get crabby, okay? We get crabby, okay? There, there's all these things that happen when we're forced to carry a weight around. And in this series, we're talking about how God has given us a way to have a brand new fresh start where you don't need to carry around the hurt of the past that can act like an anchor or like a weight. And it's easier said than done. We get that. The last three weeks, this is the third one, we're, we're looking at three specific things that can help you with that, even though it's still going to be difficult. Last week, we, we talked about maybe thinking about events that have happened in your life and just things from, from the past that are not as much relationally connected, but Matt gave us this great biblical encouragement that if we keep thinking the way we think, we're going to keep doing the things we've done. And so that in order to move past the past, we might have to, instead of conforming to what the world says, we instead need to be transformed in the way that we look at things and the way that we think. And that might help you get past some past disappointment in life. Um, Two weeks ago, we talked about relationships. And today, we're going to talk about relationships, too, because most of the time, the hurt we think about from the past is relationally connected. Two weeks ago I I told you something that was hard to hear that when you think about the person who hurt you in the past, that it is absolutely important and healthy to own your piece of it. And you're thinking, it's not my fault. And we work through that. And, and what we came, I hope, to see is that even if it's not mostly my fault, that in almost every single case, 99.9999 you know, cases, there is something that we should own. And, and even if it's not the event itself, did I respond in a way that would lead to healthy communication? Did I react in a way that would lead to healing or do I need to own my piece of the reaction that led to things being even more dysfunctional than they needed to be, okay? And what happens when we own it is, first of all, we're being honest, which is always good, but the second thing that happens is we begin to, God does, lower the temperature of our anger just a bit because we realize, you know what, it's not all about them, I might have had something to do with this. And then God can use that to help the healing happen. Well, this week, as we wrap up the series, we're talking about the slice of the pie, so to speak, of blame that isn't your fault. Because in a past hurt, certainly there's something I need to own, but there's something that someone else has done that that I can't own, that they have done. And, you know, if you ask anybody, 100% of the time, it's always the bigger piece of what they did, right? That's just the way we work. Theirs was bigger, mine was smaller, and it's just kind of the way we think most of the time, right? And so how do people tend to generally try to move past the past someone else's hurt that they've done to you? Most of the time, they look, we look for them to do something to then allow me to put down the weight. So uh, they need to change, or they need to make the first step. I didn't start it. They need to take the first step, and I'm waiting for them to take the first step. Or they need to be nicer, okay? And, and you. it's always good to warn people when they're maybe unknowingly hurting themselves. And so I'm going to do that with you. When we're waiting for someone who hurt us, to do something before we'll put down the weight of that hurt. You're essentially doing this. You are allowing the person who hurts you to decide how long you should hold on to the weight. Does any of us want to give the person who hurt us the power to keep hurting us? But when we're waiting on them, it's in essence, all right, person who hurt me, I'm going to keep holding this. I'm going to keep being bitter and exhausted until you tell me to put it down. In essence, when we wait for them, that's what we're doing. And I don't think any of us, not a single one of us, really want that to be the case. And the thing is, it doesn't need to be. It doesn't need to be the case. That, in fact, our first fill-in for today is true. That you don't need to wait to lose the weight. You don't need to wait on anybody. There's something we can do that'll allow us to lose the weight of a of a hurt from the past, relationally relational hurt from the past. And and that's what we're gonna be be looking at today because I I don't think you believe me. And so I wanna give you an example from scripture of someone who did just that and show you that it's possible. (laughs) It's hard, it's a process, it takes a while sometimes but it's possible. And to do that, we are going to, to look at a man in the Old Testament named Joseph. Um, this is not Joseph the, the, in the Christmas accounts, but this is Joseph 3,900 years ago, coat of many colors guy, if you remember, remember that part of it, maybe. I need to give you a little bit of background here, backstory. I'm trying to summarize five chapters in about five minutes, but essentially, here's Joseph's life. Um, He was one of 12 brothers. He was his father's favorite son. He was spoiled more than the other sons. The other sons, especially 10 of them, did not like that, as that makes sense. We wouldn't have liked it either if our father or mother plays favorites. And so their hatred was taken out on Joseph, one day when Joseph was 17, um, their father Jacob sent him to go check on 10 of the brothers who were tending uh, the sheep. And uh, as they saw him on the horizon, because those 10 brothers had a, had a weight of, uh, of, of the past that they were holding too, of hurt, um, they decided, you know what, here's what we should do. We should, we should kill Joseph. That's how we can put down the weight. Well, that wouldn't have worked, but that was the, what their plot was. One of the brothers exceptionally compassionate, said, no, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him so we can make money off him, you know? We'll get rid of him that way, you know? What a nice brother. And so they were tending flock along an Egyptian slave trade route, and so they waited for the next slave traders to come along, and they sold Joseph, this 17-year-old brother, into hard servanthood and slavery. Took him to Egypt, And for the next uh, 13 years or so, he was a slave, had no choices in anything. He was told what to do, when to get up. He did a good job at it. In fact, he was a slave for one of the highest officials in Egypt, did such a great job that he was promoted to that position, only to have that official's wife frame him for adultery, something he did not do, and he was sent to prison for three years. After three years of being in prison, Pharaoh had a a dream that no one could figure out what it would have meant, and God allowed Joseph to understand the meaning of the dream. So Joseph shared with the king um, that the dream meant that there was going to be seven years of abundance of crops in Egypt, followed by seven years of drought. And so, this means that we should, in the seven years of plenty, make sure that we have gathered enough food to help us in the seven years of drought. The king was so impressed with Joseph's ability to interpret the dream and for the, the awesome work that he did with that to save many lives from, you know, starvation, that he promoted Joseph to the second most powerful guy in all of Egypt. So in 24 hours, Joseph went from slave to the second most powerful man in charge of collecting crops for seven years and then in charge of dispersing them. This drought in the seven-year time frame was so severe that it started to trickle past Egypt and go into the area of Israel where Joseph's family was from. And so Joseph's family was in need of food. Jacob the father hears that Egypt has a stockpile of food, sends the ten brothers, by the way, the same ten brothers that had sold them into slavery to Egypt— to see if they could buy food. They are brought in front of the guy who's in charge of dispersing the food. Who is that? That's the brother they sold into slavery. you believe this? I mean, you need to read your Bible. There's some pretty amazing stuff in there, all right? Get into it. Um, they, They go in front of the brother. They do not recognize him at all. He recognizes them. Well, first of all, why would they not recognize him? A couple things to remember. It's been 13 years since they've seen him. He's... He's changed, or actually 20 when you add the seven years of abundance, 20 years since they've seen him. He's changed a lot. Second thing, he's speaking, the Bible says, Egyptian instead of Hebrew, and he's talking to them through an interpreter. Third thing, there's no way you'd think the the boy you sold into slavery would be in a position like this. So they have no idea who it is. Joseph recognizes them right away. How would you react what would you do? It's pretty easy where we're sitting to say, ah, oh, you know, let bygones be bygones, but you're forgetting the 13 years in prison or slavery. <laughs> Let's see what, see what Joseph did. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph, and the brothers are like, uh-oh. <laughs> when he made himself known to his brothers, verse 2. And Joseph then, get the scene, ten brothers, this guy, they have no idea who he is, he just starts weeping loud, loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? Now, I thought something kind of interesting about this I wanted to share with you. First of all, for him to say, I am Joseph, would be, you know, that, that's the bulk of it. What, a, what an amazing thing that would have been in probably a very negative way. Again, uh-oh. The other thing to keep in mind is that this was the first time that Joseph spoke Hebrew to them before he had been speaking through an interpreter. And so he says, Joseph, I am Joseph in their own native tongue. Verse 3b. But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. I guess so. I guess so. And I guess the a question again is, there was this weight that his brothers had put on him. How long did he hold it? When did he put it down? Because If he had been holding it for 20 years, he'd be a pretty bitter, crabby man. First, let's see what he did. Verse 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. You go first. (laughs) When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed. And do not be angry with yourselves. Joseph's response is just it blows my mind. You know, in this phrase, it's not just don't I'm not angry with you, but (laughs) don't be angry with yourself. For selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Notice as we go through here, there's going to be these becauses. Because God, because God, because God. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. See, the, Joseph's family, Jacob's family, was the line of the Savior. God's plan was to preserve that line until the Savior would come and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says after you pick him up off the floor (laughs) that Joseph is still alive because they had told their father that not that he was sold, but that he had died. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. (laughs) You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. Like like he invited his enemies, not just forgiveness, but why don't you live in my neighborhood? Like, it blows my mind. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all that you have. This is an exceptional example of forgiveness. Probably one of the greatest that there is. That Joseph could respond this way. And it leads to the second fill in that you've probably already figured out a little bit, but that the, this weight loss plan, getting rid of the weight of the past, it has to involve forgiveness as Elsa would say, let it go. (laughs) And I'm not singing, and you're not either. (laughs) You gotta let it go. You You gotta forgive. Now, let me just put you in the mind and life of Joseph. When was it that he had put it down? We don't know for sure, but with how healthy his response was, I can almost guarantee you it wasn't in that moment. It was long before. As you listen to Joseph speak, you, you see the but God's, but God, but God. He had spent time in his life thinking about the hurt, I'm sure, while he was a slave and in prison. And at some point, whether it was slavery, whether it was uh, in prison, or, or maybe it was not until he became the second in, in command, he came to the conclusion that I need to let this go, that I need to put down the weight. And the only way he was able to respond in such a healthy way when the people were in front of him was that he had already put the weight down long before. He had become healthy long before. His fresh start was not then. That was just his declaration of the fresh start. And if he had never had an opportunity to actually have his brothers in front of him, he was going to be okay. Because he wasn't waiting for them to show up to put down the weight. He had already put it down. It's hard. And and I think what we need to know is that in the difficulty of forgiveness, it begins with the knowledge that it is a response. It's a response. Um, Responding can be easier than just doing it out of the blue, doing something out of the blue. So, for instance, um, I like to go to Caribou every once in a while. Um, I don't really know what I like usually. Um, Medium skim latte with a half a shot of vanilla. Some I don't know. Um, (laughs) If Carrie's with me, you know, large instead. But you know, I'll go every once in a while and, and, and get a drink there. I mean, never once have I been in line waiting to order and think, you know what I should do? I should buy the drink of the person behind me. I've, I've never thought that before, you know, especially because the drinks are as much as a meal, you know, I mean, <laughs> lunch or my skim latte, I don't know. Um, uh, I've never thought that before, never. And then a couple years ago, and I know that some of you, this has happened to you both as well. I was going through the drive-thru line, and I get up to the window to grab my skim vanilla latte with half a shot of vanilla, and, um, and the person told me that it had been paid for by the person in front. I'm like, that's cool. What do I do now? And in that moment, I felt like paying for the person behind me. I didn't do it, but I felt, no. <laughs> no, I did it. No, I felt like it, and I did it. That would have never happened if it hadn't been done for me first. I mean, I'd like to think it would have. I don't think it would have. It needed to, there needed to be a catalyst. You're not asked to do anything different than what has already happened to you. But God, but God, None of you, that I know of, have gone from prisoner to high government official, okay? We can't relate to that part of Joseph's story. But if you really boil it down, what Joseph is saying is, you did this to me, but God loves me. You did this to me, but God has given me a deep kind of love. Is that any different than how we could respond? I know this has happened, but God has loved me. I know this has happened, but God has loved me with the deepest kind of love. Because at one time, it could be said that I would have stood in front of not Joseph, but of God and his response to me with all the junk and sin and garbage and inability to forgive or get over it. He said, It's all forgiven. Your coffee's paid for. Your sin's taken away. Just as you've forgiven. I know you're not perfect like me, God is saying to you. Like, I know you struggle. Like, I, I, but you've got to try. I've loved you that much. <laughs> and our next fill-in, hopefully in a way that's memorable, forgiven people forgive people. It's really hard for, un, for, for people that don't realize they're forgiven to forgive. Maybe the, the place you need to start is to think about how much has been done for you already and to realize that forgiven people then will respond by forgiving people. talking to a friend of mine here at church that I know has had really a lot of difficulty in forgiving something that happened in her past, and I kind of called her this week just to kind of help me get a feel for what she goes through, because I know she's trying. And in summary of that conversation, because I realized there's so much complexity to forgiveness, and, and also probably some misunderstandings. Um, there's, there's three quick bullet points. We're going to hit them really quick that I just want to share with you because you might be at a point right now where you're like, I know I need to do that, but I can't. Or I know I need to do that. Have I? <laughs> Here's three things to think about. First of all, forgiveness doesn't mean that everything is the same as it used to be. And what I mean by that, you know, imagine, you know, you're, you're a woman and, you know, you, all, you had a girlfriend that you always went shopping with on the weekend, you know, and things. And then she did something that was so hurtful. You can forgive and yet not necessarily want to always go shopping with her on the weekend, okay? Like, and, and you can think of all your own examples. Not everything is the same as it used to be necessarily. It doesn't have to be. It, it could be. It doesn't have to be because forgiveness starts in here. The best indicator of forgiveness and where you're at is how do you feel about that person when his or her name comes up? And if it's like there's this bunch of angst in your heart, you got room to grow. If there's the memory of the hurt, but then there's this peace about it, you're probably there. Um, If you've prayed about them but not for them, probably not there yet. If you're peace enough to be able to pray for them and even be happy about their successes or joys, you're you're there, even if you can't go shopping with them on the weekend because forgiveness isn't here. Second thing, forgiveness isn't forgetting. I mean, that would be the case if we were computers and you could just pick files to delete, (laughs) but we're not that way. And there's memory that we have. And the other thing is we're struggling with the sinful nature, which continually encourages us to do things we don't want to do. And so there's, there's a time for all of us, maybe, where we're at a point of healthy forgiveness. And then something happens. It's like we took two steps backwards. And we're kind of in a spot that we, we, we thought we were over it. And that happens, okay? That happens. It doesn't mean you're not healthy. It means you struggle like I do. But I think a better indicator is when you look back five years or ten years, are you in a better place than you were? Because it might be two steps forward and three steps back and five steps forward and one step back. But over time, you're moving forward. You're getting healthier. And the last thing, forgiveness includes a a decision. Some of you are waiting too long. And you're waiting for the right time and the right thing and the right situation. Like, I'm just going to be honest with you. Some of it is just deciding today that I am going to forgive. It's, and, and you need to buck up and do it because God has asked you to do it. And is it easy? No. We've talked about that. But think about the alternative. Let's just carry the 30-pound dumbbell longer. Just make steps. Maybe it is to pray for that person for the very first time. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's a card. If that person has died, maybe you just need to give a lot of that to God. That's a whole nother sermon. <laughs> you Just need to give it to God, give it to God, give it to God. But maybe today is the day where you're just going to make a decision. I'm done carrying the weight. I'm taking steps. Very first week, I said, a fresh start is possible for everybody. I believe it because God said it. Is it always easy? No. Is it a process? Yes. Can you do it? No. With God's help? Yes. Sometimes steps, sometimes leaps, but with Jesus Christ, I don't back down from what I said. It is possible. And I'm going to be keeping you in my prayers as a congregation in that. And why don't we close this series with a prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, if there's only one thing that people take home today, may it be your love. May it be your grace. May it be your pardon of us and our sins. If there's two things to take away, I would have it be, may we respond to that grace By sharing it with others. Be with us in that process. Help us to navigate uh, the ups and downs of it. Uh, Surround people with other Christians to bounce things off of so that they realize they're not in isolation, but that there's, there's encouragement around them. And ultimately, help us to have a fresh start today. Pray this all in Jesus' name and also pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven.